What's up, homies? What's up, homies? I'm Erica. And I'm Roshane. And as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us today as we dive into another spooky movie. And Roshane, yeah. what would you say if I told you uh -huh. I am not a serial killer? I would say thank God. <laughs> thank God for that. That would be, That is a grand revelation, and I'm happy that I didn't have to inform the authorities mid-recording because mm -hmm. that just wouldn't. That wouldn't work out well for either of us, I think. Right. It wouldn't send up any flags for you, red flags for you for me to <laughs> say I am not a serial killer. If we were just out out of the blue kind of chit-chatting, having a little hee-hee-ha-ha. -ha. Like um, if we were just out and about and then you brought that up, um, I'd be a little concerned, not going to lie. That's um, fair. But I feel like we've covered enough thriller and horror films that I wouldn't say anything about it. Mm -hmm. in the moment um and would promptly uh snitch on your ass once right. i was out of harm's way and honestly that's what i would recommend if <laughs> if if that were the case yeah i would heavily recommend like hey don't 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 react badly to what i'm saying right now because i'm not gonna say i'm like Saying I am not a serial killer is something that I do believe a serial killer might say. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would highly recommend not reacting in the moment, continuing the jokes, the laughs, the drinks, yeah, the vibes. Yeah, of course. And of course. then, yeah, later on, please turn me in. <laughs> and yeah. if, I'm, if I'm truly not a serial killer, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> we will have a little laugh about it later on, but just for, for safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the um proclamation <laughs> that is stated in the title of this film i am not a serial killer and honestly it's a pretty catchy title because like that sort of yeah. title at least grabs your attention you know makes you interested in like okay well why are you telling me this you know like it, right. it's intriguing Right. It's like, okay, what does this mean in regards to the story? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I agree. It is a very catchy title. It, I feel like, kind of opens the possibility for many different stories to be told. But also, I think the story that does end up getting told also works perfectly for the type of title that we have. Um, really quick, I do want to give a shout out to um, one of our listeners who actually recommended this film to us. Their Instagram is a period Scorpio period crone. And honestly, I had not heard of this film prior to being recommended it i it came out in 2016 so mm. it's been a minute but i had never heard of it before and also too it's a book series actually i'm pretty mm. sure this this was the first book i don't know if you saw that but this yeah, is so the it was first based book. off of mm -hmm. a novel and then there's five i believe follow-ups oh. to it so i think there's six books in total that have been coming out pretty steadily since the book came out in 20 or I'm sorry, in 2009. And it is 
a horror series, this movie seems to follow pretty spot on the events that also occur in the first book. I think the only change that they make is that there is not first person narration from our main character in the movie. It's a little bit more outside of that character. Whereas in the book, you're in their head. But other than that, it seems that the entire book is was short enough that they could fit it all into the span of the movie. And then I was reading a little bit more into the series later on. It sounds very interesting. Like I'm I, I'm a little bit Are like you sold. Yeah, I might you? I might have to go. I might have to check out the sequel just to see. I probably should read the first one just to see, you know, what it's like in book form. Uh-huh. But if nothing else, I'm interested to check out the sequel and see where this story goes. That's fair, cause like what we have here is a pretty tasty setup. Like we've got a character who is kind of sociopathic, right? And we're like following them through this murder mystery thriller esque kind of movie, um, where you know you say it's a horror book series, but I think there will be some people out there that are like this one is more of a thriller, which I would kind of agree with. Yeah. Um, however, it has some moments of horror that I did that I did enjoy, and like it's just I feel like it's got elements of stories that I've seen before but really stands on its own as its own thing. And like mm-hmm. when we dive deeper into it, we'll get more into that. But um, there were a lot of things about this film that I was like, that is pretty unique. It's, it's different. Yeah, definitely. It's And I think that that is because I do think that you're right in the sense of this falls a bit more into the thriller category. But I do think it touches a couple different genres. I would say thriller supernatural Mm -hmm. horror drama dark comedy in some regards yeah (laughs) so i i think it just touches its toe into a couple different genres which help to make it feel fresh and different even though there are some elements that are reminiscent of other things that you've seen before i think when the whole story unravels it feels like we're taking a different lens on stories that have been told before, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. as I've never seen them presented in quite the manner that they are presented in this film. Yeah. Um, and also Christopher Lloyd's in there, like the doc's he in is. here. <laughs> he is. He is in here. And it. And I was surprised to see him. <laughs> I was surprised, but, but very pleasantly surprised to see him in this film. But to the scare scale, (laughs) on a scale of one to five, five being the scariest, one being not scary at all, where did this movie fall for you? Okay, so with the nature of how it is, how we've already talked about, I have to give this one like a one and a half, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Because it's not not very scary. There's very little in there that is um, like jump scare or honestly heavy gore anything like that there are some like slightly shocking moments but that's about it um i feel like as far as spooks go this one's pretty light so i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. one and a half personally i would give i i think i'm gonna agree with you there i'm actually giving it the half as well because there is a jump there's one jump scare in this movie that legitimately got me oh okay 
Yes. And so that is where that half comes from, because it was one moment that actually did surprise me mm-hmm. and it stuck out to me in that way. But yeah, I think the rest of it isn't it isn't scary. You don't have to be it's tense for sure, but I don't think it's scary. I don't think you'll be like feeling any dread uh, for the rest of the movie. But yes, there is one jump scare. Just a heads up for anybody who is like very, very sensitive to jump scares. There is one in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it got me, it might get you. <laughs> Just a heads up. But I think as far as the rest of the film goes, you'd be fine. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But all right, homies, we are entering into spoiler territory and you have been warned. But today we are talking about I Am Not a Serial Killer from 2016. This movie was directed by Billy O'Brien, written by Billy O'Brien and Christopher Hyde, based off the novel from Dan Wells, starring Max Records as John and Christopher Lloyd as Mr. Crowley. John Cleaver has a problem. Despite doing his best to live a normal life, he struggles daily to suppress the homicidal thoughts that plague his mind. However, when the members of his small Midwestern town begin to fall prey to a serial killer, John may be the one person who can solve the mysterious killings. Insert Birdwatch Therapy Sessions sketchy panda ski masks, and old people cutting it up on the dance floor here. Our film concludes with John discovering the killer's identity. Will he be able to stop them? Or will he too fall prey to the supernatural killer? Also, you are a really great guy. Roll credits. Alrighty. So I feel as though this film is pretty, has a pretty linear storyline. Like we have some very, very clear and cut beats that we're hitting throughout this film. And so honestly, I think this might be one where we can kind of go through the plot a bit and just break down those different moments and our thoughts on them. Just to start, before we even get into our notes, I Mm -hmm. do want to say I was really, really excited when the movie started, and I realized it was on 16 millimeter. I thought at first maybe it was going to be like found footage, which wasn't upsetting to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I honestly don't think this would have been a bad movie to be a found footage type of film. Um, But I will say when I thought that at first... I was a little bit, I just, I just wasn't quite in the mood for a found footage film and it hadn't said anywhere that that's the type of movie it was. So it threw me off at first, but then it's not. We cut away from the shot that we're in and then you realize that it is going to be just a regular um, presentation style for a film. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. I did really enjoy the the, sh- the film style for this movie. I just wanted to get that off the board. Because um, that's the very first thing that I noticed before I even started taking notes. I just clocked it in in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you, did you watch the trailer for this one? I did not, actually. Did you? I did. I did. And it's, oh, okay. if I was going to go back in time... 
to talk back to past Roshane, I actually probably would have told him not to watch the trailer for this one. Because although it is a good trailer, I do think the trailer sells the movie very well. For me, it definitely set me up to expect something different than what I saw. Okay, as far as like the style that it was going to be or plot wise? I think a little of both. Like I think okay. the vibe of the movie along with the way the plot unfolds um, is very different from the trailer. So it's one of those ones where it's like, if you're okay with your trailer giving away a lot of stuff, but also... Um, uh, like misdirecting? Yes, but also misdirecting you. Um, I think it's okay to watch the trailer for this one, but I'm just like thinking back, I kind of wish I'd gone into this one blind. Okay, that that's fair. And, and that's, uh, I guess maybe that's why I was reluctant to watch the trailer for this one. I read the synopsis mm-hmm. and I felt like I kind of got the vibes of what it was meant to be from that. And so I kind of didn't want to know too, too much about, especially because this is one that I hadn't heard of at all. Right. I kind of didn't want to know very much about it, Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of how I normally go into movies. Usually I'm trying to know as much as possible, like before I get into movies, but I don't know for, for some reason with this one, I kind of wanted to be really, really fresh. I think it's just because I haven't been that way for a movie in in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, now that you said that, I am glad that I, <laughs> that I did not watch it. Was it, did it show, um, I mean, I'm sure it did because since they shot it that way, but I'm assuming you could tell kind of like that, the qual like the 16 millimeter quality in the, yeah, like, in the like the, the way that the movie looks is presented correctly. Like there, there's no misdirection in that regard. Um, I don't, I don't know. I just like. It's hard to quantify exactly why the trailer kind of bugged me. Um, mm. But I think because it is like a mystery thriller, right? I feel like the more in the dark you are, the more you can right. kind of immerse yourself with the plot points and beats as they're happening. Okay. Because like even with the synopsis, right? Uh, the, you know that you have a teen that has just going off the IMDb, right? You have a teen that has homicidal tendencies and he's up against a supernatural killer. It already exits out our boy John as a potential threat and just like... I get you. Different different plot points that are revealed very quickly get just completely given away in the trailer. And again, it didn't bother me too, too much, but perhaps if you're somebody who that does bother, that could get, that could get to you. So I was putting that disclaimer there. Um, again, I don't think the watch of this movie was ruined by the trailer. Mm-hmm. I just thought that the trailer somehow gave away a little bit too much while also misdirecting Ooh. the hell out of me. Okay, well, I'd love when we're going through this, you, let me know like points where that where you were like, oh, I saw this. I knew this was coming because of the trailer because I'm interested to see kind of like what it, what exactly it gave away because there are some pretty big moments in this that are best utilized knowing nothing Hmm. that i was like oh shit and i feel like i would have been bummed if i didn't feel that way so i would be interested while we're going through it if you'll point those those moments out okay okay i'll I'll do my best um i don't know if it's necessarily that deep but i will i will try i will for sure um also too for anybody um who doesn't know um like what 16 millimeter is 
it's just a it's a film um that is it's it's just more readily available and accessible 16 millimeter came up a little bit after i think eight millimeter which was used for super eight cameras as just a way that like amateur filmmakers or people that were on a tighter budget or if you had a camera at home and you're making home movies 16 millimeter was much more accessible for you and i think now and that's just been true throughout the years. It's just always been a more affordable type of film. And I think now when people use it, it's usually a specific choice. Like they want a very distinct feel to their movie or TV show. And it just gives things a little bit more of like a nostalgic feeling when things get filmed on 16 millimeter. Um, but like early 2000 shows like Buffy the OC scrubs, mm -hmm. like it's that same look. So when a movie starts like, or a movie now has that quality, it always reminds me of, it makes me feel like I'm in like the early 2000s yeah, or the 90s. Like, like a nostalgic feel to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do think this movie is meant to take place present day. I, I think that the story is one of those stories yes. where it's like, it could be taking, taking time any time in like the two, like the later 2000s. Yeah. But 2016 sounds about right for me. <laughs> for this movie to take place yeah that's true i mean we all we got the the props to aid in that too because we have both flip phones and smartphones so yes. we know we're in that transitional era yes but without further ado let's go ahead and get into our notes so roshane what is in your notebook okay so a little confession my first note is a little deep in so we may have to backtrack a little bit Okay. Um, but my first big note was the party scene confrontation with Dan. Knocked oh, my socks off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you four in there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of immersed myself for the first half. Um, but I can, like, tying it back a little bit, um, I think when we get to that party scene, we'll talk because that party scene is dope. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the big pros of this film is I really like the idea of our main character protagonist. Uh, protagonist in air quotes uh, of God, why do I keep forgetting his name? John. John. <laughs> <laughs> our, our protagonist of John, because uh, it's a very interesting perspective to be following. Like we have this kid who is clinically diagnosed sociopath. Um, however, he is very adamantly trying to lead a normal life and not be harmful to other people. Yeah. And I just found that very fascinating as a character to follow. Um, just because, like, the way that he interacts with people, the way that he handles certain situations, it's so different than I feel like you're used to seeing in your typical, you know, lead role character. Mm hmm. Yeah. John, when we first meet him, we know very little about him, but we click like very quickly discover some of the issues that he has been dealing with um because going back a little bit at the very beginning my first note was not a fuck given because we start with a dead body being wheeled into the back of an ambulance there has been a murder and we find out that the murder has was pretty gruesome mm -hmm. and as they're wheeling it onto the ambulance 
a, an organ or some bloody entrails or something fall off the stretcher onto the floor and everyone just acts like oh business as usual like uh, <laughs> nobody <laughs> nobody's blown back by what <laughs> by that mm-hmm. the the like em ems workers are just they just look down at it like damn well put that back on stuff that back in if you can yeah, hopefully not too <laughs> much snow wild. or dirt in there <laughs> right yeah but right after that happens we meet john and mm-hmm. we find out that john works in the morgue with his mother and his aunt they have a business together um that they have basically the morgue is right underneath the house that john and his mother live in mm-hmm. something that i didn't even take into account is that John makes a comment about how the more dead bodies they get, the better it is for business because that will keep their business running. I don't know why when he said that it blew my mind. I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's really true. I don't I just never thought about that. But yeah, a morgue, a morgue's only product (laughs) and only business is dead dead people. Yeah. They need that to keep the lights on. Um, but that's what I'm talking about is like those sort of those sort of thoughts and little like conversational outbursts. I feel like you have them so often throughout this because of the mm-hmm. nature of the way John is. He's will say what he's thinking, despite the feelings of anyone around him. Like he literally does not care. Uh, right. Um, mm-hmm. and that, and that to me was very fascinating. I feel like that's one of the big reasons why I wasn't taking notes for the first half. I was just like, this, this kid really don't give a fuck about nothing. For sure. It's so right away when you meet John, you see that he has very little concern for the fact that this dead body used to be a person. He refers to the body as it, and his mother has to correct and say she, because this is in fact a person. That is a journey that we will see John go on throughout this film, Mm -hmm. is empathizing with human life, which is so, uh, because I was interested after we find out, yes, that he um, has been diagnosed as a a sociopath, he has a pretty intense interest in serial killers and he has had to get a therapist because of his morbid fascination that has continued to grow with death and serial killers. Mm-hmm. And it is through his therapist that he has been um, diagnosed with sociopathy. But I was wondering what the dist- the difference was because a few people in this movie call him a psychopath. Yeah. And I was wondering like because that's not what he is. That's not what his diagnosis is. And so I looked it up and I guess the main difference is that psychopaths have no conscience. And a sociopath will have a weak conscience. Mm. So there is still the ability to slightly empathize but it's still very very small but with a psychopath that ability is not there at all also with psychopaths they are much more in control and with the fact that they're manipulating everything is very calculated with what they do sociopaths sometimes a lot are most cases i'm not sure if it's all cases don't even realize that they are sociopaths because they do not they they 
have a very specific viewpoint of what is right and wrong and their emotions and their actions are just a little bit more unprovoked and uncontrollable so they a lot of times don't even realize that they are doing something wrong whereas psychopaths are very very controlled in their manipulation and the way that they are making other people feel they're very aware and i definitely mm. think that we see that with john because once it is pointed out to him that what he is feeling and what he is fantasizing about is wrong and he is trying his darndest to keep little things for him to do to prevent him from going too far Mm-hmm. He has like little, like a list almost of things that he has to do to present as normal and to keep those thoughts from ever crossing too far. Um, and as the movie goes on, those che- the little checklist becomes less and less doable for him as he kind of falls into the exact sorts of things that he's trying to avoid. He's trying not to get too obsessed with one person or one thing, which he ends up doing. He tries not to do any stalking of people, which he ends up doing. He tries to maintain friendships or relationships as best as he can. And he also ends up not being able to do that anymore. So like as the movie goes on, he really starts to lose track of the things that he needs to do to keep these fantasies at bay. But then at the same time, as he loses track of it, the more... I feel like empathy he ends up getting just from the situation that he has put himself into. Yeah, he's kind of forced to explore his own emotions a little bit more, um, which is intriguing when we get there. Um, But to, uh, as you requested, point out one of the things um, that I kind of wish I didn't know um, is I kind of wish I didn't know that he wouldn't ever be a threat, really. Um, Mm -hmm. By he, I mean John. Because we have this character who's framed up to, for the most part, not really care about other people, um, but is still trying to do good, right? And the idea that maybe he could at some point, like, slip or, like, relapse um, would be an interesting plot point to follow. Um, But I feel like, for the most part, I was never really worried about that. And I think there are certain parts in this movie where had that been more of a mystery about like, well, is John actually dangerous? Like, is he a potential threat alongside the supernatural killer? It may have made things, um, I don't want to say less predictable, because I don't think this story is necessarily predictable, but I think like it would have added into some of the suspense perhaps Mm -hmm. um but for the most part he is framed up to be just a character who was dealing with this um but isn't like the main issue of the story yeah and that's fair but i do think though that it's kind of I am actually very, very happy that they went the way that they went with the story Mm -hmm. um, because I do think that there is still this feeling, even if I never felt like he was going to actually be a threat to people, maybe himself, there was still always this feeling of I didn't always know because of the way that he deals with the situation at hand, because of the fact that he can't really empathize or show compassion and concern for what's actually happening like he doesn't ever really show 
until later on, he doesn't ever really show his true feelings about what's actually happening. I do think that there was an element of it where I didn't know what his end goal was for a yeah. while. And that to me was a little bit stressful That's and fair. like in, in a good way, in the sense of I didn't know if he was wanting to help or if he was just like enjoying the game and enjoying <laughs> having control over this other person who is such a threat. It almost felt like that for a long time. I was like, oh, uh, he's not concerned about these people. He's just kind of having a good time going back and forth that, with like, this killer. Struggle. Yeah, and being like, I hold the power now. That's almost what it felt like. And it didn't feel like he had any kind of like fire under his ass to try and help people. It was more so like, I'm just going to kind of watch and see what happens next. And I feel like because of the type of person that he was, that to me was more of the concern. Um, and I think too, it was interesting to see a character. There's a lot of people who are sociopaths. Like there are a lot of people in this world who are. And I think a lot of times in media, they jump to the most extreme, which is them like becoming a cold blooded killer, which mm -hmm. isn't, true like that's not the path that everybody goes down just because you're a sociopath yeah um you will can def you're definitely still going to have a disregard for people and what like and how what you do affects them but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna kill them that just means that you could be manipulative and a liar and a shitty person yeah. and like i do think it was interesting to see a character who battled with those feelings of maybe pushing things too far mm -hmm. but it was interesting to see that come out in different ways of hurting people rather than it being like oh i'm just a killer like <laughs> i'm no, a killer that's... and that's what i am yeah <laughs> no, that's, very, that's very very fair and i i agree i think that it is very healthy to actually look take a look at sociopaths in this light and be like there is a way one they're still people regardless of this thing that they're dealing with and two exploring how one navigates with this symptom in everyday life i i agree i think it's really um intriguing um and i think i think with this movie being more of a thriller than like a horror per se mm -hmm. is very helpful as well because like it allows room to separate the sociopath from like the sociopathic killer um mm -hmm. necessarily uh they don't have to exist in the same realm because like that's not necessarily the story that we're going with here uh so yeah no i i actually agree with that i think that this perspective is a unique one and it's a it's a nice one to carry us through and i think it also informs a lot of these relationships that we see that john mm -hmm. has because a lot of the the supporting cast of this is very fun just in if nothing else their interactions with john like his interactions with his therapist his interactions with his best friend um even with the brooke character like <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're all unique yeah. and they're all very different and i think that was one of the another one of the big enjoyable parts of this film is just watching john navigate with people in his everyday life mm -hmm. yeah definitely we've got a lot of because this movie is a lot of john it's a lot of him kind of exploring this situation but yeah every character that we meet is in relation to john and kind of seeing how they try and connect with him to varying degrees of success mm -hmm. and 
so starting with, I guess, his therapist, because that's the first kind of one we get to really see is John once again writes a paper about the BTK. BTK. The way that I always want to see B- B2K when I <laughs> whenever talking about the BTK killer <laughs> is absurd. I'm like, they did not think that one through. It's a little <laughs> bit close for me personally. Um, but you know what? More power to Omarion. You did what you needed to do. Um, but he writes a paper about that, raises some red flags for the principal, and then he has to go and talk to his therapist who consistently bird watches throughout their therapy sessions yeah and i mean power to you for having a hobby but my guy <laughs> Ooh, surely, <laughs> surely we must uh refer our attention to the young boy who's afraid of murdering who somebody kn- who knows maybe it's a tactic that he uses perhaps the birds right. are symbolic of mm something (laughs) right there the birds are symbolic of the the violent urges wanting to bring free within john the (laughs) fleetingness of youth (laughs) just that That, yeah that is the symbol (laughs) that's it and that's what grant was trying to get across but um there's at this point in time we see their first little therapy session and this i think is when you do really realize that Grant is trying to be Grant. The viewpoint that he is trying to push is that you're better, you know, like you make your decisions. You're bigger than this. You're the one who gets to decide. Your fate is not pre written for you. Just because that could happen doesn't mean it will happen. Mm-hmm. Is the kind of point that he continues to try and get across. Whereas John is very much spiraling with this idea of I fit the profile. Therefore I will be the profile because he even brings up like the uh, McDonald triad, which are three factors that I guess they have found is common among serial killers, which is bedwetting over the age of five, um, animal cruelty and pyromania. Mm -hmm. And John's like, I got all three of those. Check him off the list. Put it on my dating profile, bitch. Yeah, he's like, he's like, it matches for me, um, which is a real thing. I had, I double, I looked it up because I was like, truly, that's not, not something they use. Which it's, I think it's people go back and forth about whether it's actually accurate or not. I think a lot of people try and say, well, that's actually more accurate for like ch- child neglect and like abusive homes and stuff, and that is more likely to potentially lead to, yeah. Like, like one factor leading to another yeah factor. more so than just because you do these th- three things um because i was like bedwetting like some people just can't control that shit like, <laughs> what do you mean weak bladders chill out yeah what do you mean when, and okay and that's it's fine it's it's fine and <laughs> and that's what grant is trying to say like hey everything is going to be fine if you just deal with these feelings in a in a um productive way yeah. and So this is where we kind of start to learn something that John does, which is if he feels like he's going to, if he feels the urge to kill someone, to compliment them instead, Mm -hmm. which 
kind of leads into what you were talking about with the dance scene (laughs) the halloween dance scene (laughs) yeah with uh i think i called him dan earlier but i think it's rob is his name the bully yeah i think so like rob or ron or something like that um but yeah, it's one of like we see throughout John's everyday life that he does have this bully and Rob. Um, and it kind of uh, a little ways into the, into the film, there's several instances of this guy bullying John. And then finally, there is a moment where they're at a party and he goes up to he goes up to John and, he's, you know, he's calling him names and be like, you're a freak. Like this is a party for normal people. And um, in true Joker fashion, um, John just tells him the truth. You know, this is a party for normal people, right? So why don't you go home to your undertaking slut of a mother, right? What are you smiling about? I've been clinically diagnosed with sociopathy, Rob. To me, you're an object. You know, you're, you're a thing. You're about as important to me as a cardboard box. And the, the thing about cardboard boxes is that, you know, they're totally boring on the outside, right? But sometimes if you cut them open, there'll be something interesting inside. You know, and so while you're saying all these boring things to me, I'm thinking about what it'd be like to cut you open. But I, I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna be that person. And so I have a rule that anytime Somebody says something to me where I, I think about, you know, cutting them. I, I, I just smile and I say something nice. So that's why I say to you, Rob Anders, of 232 Carnation Street, you are a really great guy. You're a freak. And it's kind of terrifying to like conceptualize the idea of like these two teenagers having this conversation Mm -hmm. but he's basically like bro i will chop you up like sushi dude and like not feel a thing um so check yourself (laughs) and i was like truly that was one of the hardest fucking mic drops i've heard in a movie period like that shit wasn't a threat. That was a promise, Rob. You need yeah. to you need to skedaddle. You should probably move. Well, and that's the thing. It's the first time that we see John allow himself to kind of lose control to a certain degree in public. Mm-hmm. Because we do see him kind of internalize things a lot. Um, He really, really is trying his hardest not to make this clear. And often jokes about or tries to kind of brush away anybody's concerns for the way that he is feeling. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time that we've heard him vocalize besides to grant Mm -hmm. the urges that he has. And, and it kind of gets, he kind of gets like lost in it because you have Brooke (laughs) (laughs) You have Brooke, who is this character who goes to the same school as him, but also lives in his neighborhood. And so we've seen him kind of see her a couple of times. And it's clear that he maybe has some feelings for her. But Brooke is a line that he is not allowing himself to cross because he doesn't want to become obsessed with anybody. Right. And 
Brooke would be an easy way to become obsessed with a person. Because we do see earlier on, he does watch her and her family through a window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does this, stalk her a little bit. A little bit. You know. Just a skosh. <laughs> Just a tiny Just little a bit. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny little stalking session on a Saturday night. Um, but then, so then you can tell that he's kind of not wanting to maybe push things too far with her. But the the Halloween dance is the first time that we see that Brooke perhaps reciprocates some feelings for him. Yeah. And slightly she, concerning. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> very much so. Only because it's at first it's like, yeah, you know, he's a he's a good looking kid, whatever. Um, she seems to not really know him that well. She seems to know him more as uh, by association than know him as a person mm-hmm. and so yeah when she comes up to talk to him it's fine whatever they're joking blah blah blah. and then he has that whole interaction with his bully brooke hears all of this she's Every standing word. there for the whole speech and he turns around and realizes that she's still standing there. And that's what I mean when it almost feels like he kind of gets lost in this description of what he would do to his bully and like trying to scare the shit out of him that he almost forgets that there's other people around. Cause he turns around and he sees Brooke and Brooke's like, "Uh uh but it's (laughs) weird because she does seem taken aback by what he said, but it doesn't seem to turn her off. That's the thing. At all. <laughs> and her jets are very much at a higher. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. She's like, oh, all cylinders to go, uh, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, ready for takeoff. Because <laughs> post that scene, she is all over this man. Like, she cannot get enough, John. I'm just curious about the things that are attractive to you my dear girl perhaps you too should have been having some conversations with grant um right right and i guess you could say it does seem like maybe to a certain degree she's interested in the same things that he is as far as maybe like oh she's interested in like horror movies and and things that are spooky and what have you um and i guess maybe you could say that she he had been pushing his buttons a lot. Like we've mm-hmm. seen this, this is a bully that has been consistently picking on John. This isn't like right. a one-off situation. He consistently does. So maybe it was one of those things where she was like, Oh, he stood up to his bully. And like, he said what he, he needed to say sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but cause, but there's that minute after it happens where the bully runs off and he's like, you're a freak. And he <laughs> runs away. <laughs> and then he turns around and Brooke's like, you're not a freak. And then she yeah. runs off. It was giving very much, like remember that i was nice to you energy the way that she says it was like i i honestly thought that was going to be the end of it i was i did not think that it was going to persist but it almost feels like the more that john loses interest in brooke the more she wants him like the more she can't have him the more she wants it that's almost how it seems yeah and like does not get wrapped up at all throughout the plot as far as i saw um it just kind of ends on she is really into him and at least as far as this movie goes uh he does not care uh yeah (laughs) but that being aside the other relationship that we have to talk about um which is very key to this whole film is the relationship that he has with mr crowley Mm -hmm. and mrs crowley 
Um, because they are uh his neighbors? Question mark. Yes, they live across the street from. They live across the street, and so he regularly goes over there to visit and hang out with them. Elderly couple, um, very unassuming. Um, until we find out that um, Mr. Crowley is in fact a supernatural murderous being. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we sure do. Unbeknownst to Mrs. Crowley, that's the thing. Yeah, that's also she wild. has no idea. She has no idea. Mrs. Crowley was such a bad bitch that she made a supernatural demon <laughs> fall in love with her. And he wanted to stay with her so bad that he was like, I'm gonna kill everybody, <laughs> everybody just so we can dance in our living room <laughs> to dream a little dream of me or whatever song was, was playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in certain lights, their story is pretty damn romantic. Uh, it is. Just minus the body count, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's so, yeah, we, we meet. <laughs> this couple who is very sweet seems like a very sweet couple and it seems like john actually like you said does go over there often like visits them often Mm -hmm. and by this point in time after meeting the crowleys there have been two murders i believe two yeah two john because he has such an interest in serial killers is kind of taking it within taking the responsibility upon himself to profile this serial killer and see if he can solve it because a he just has an interest in it and b the fact that it's so close to home seems like it's kind of pushing him really riling up those feelings that he already has on a daily basis yeah The fact that this is happening in his town and it's so close to him, it really feels like it's like starting to become an obsession for him. But this is what I mean in the sense of even just starting now, it's hard to tell if he why he is so interested in it. If he's interested in it from a point of view of like, we've got to stop this or if he's interested in it from a point of view of like. Fat, just fascination. Like, um, I just want to know what's going on and I want to know who this person is. Yeah, and I love that it's muddy for a majority of the time. I actually think that's one of the more fascinating parts of of this story is when you watch John watch Mr. Crowley doing his things, you're right. Like, it's hard to tell what his actual POV of the situation is. Because, like, even when... It's like when he kills people, John is like, oh, you know, that sucks that the people died. But, like, he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't have that, like, remorse or anything. Yeah. He's, he's more so just, like, you said, it's curiosity. He's, like, he's curious, like, why are you doing these things? Like, what's your end goal? Like, why, like, we find out that he is taking body parts from everybody that he kills. And that is something that John cannot let go. He's like, I need to know why you're taking the body parts. Like, what are yeah. you using them for? And right. it's like, you're right. It's kind of like a creepy sort of um, enamor that like he's kind of enamored with with mm-hmm. Mr. Crowley's misdeeds. But at the same time, he is still actively trying to thwart him at times. Yeah. So yeah. It, like it flip flops a lot. 
Yes. And also, too, because so early on, he discovers pretty early on that there's parts missing from the bodies. He is the only one that kind of picks up on that, which I'm like, come on, guys. (laughs) Come on, mom. You're the one dissecting the bodies like (laughs) you can surely you see. And so pretty early on, the mom catches him. And because that's another thing that's interesting about this movie is his whole family is very aware of these feelings that he's having. Mm-hmm. It's not something he's trying to hide from them. It's something he's trying to hide from like his schoolmates, but his whole family knows that he feels the way that he feels and yeah. that he has these urges. It's a conversation that he has with his mother pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And it's also very interesting to watch them navigate that because that's, something that most people don't think they're ever going to have to deal with in their life is the potential that someone that you love and care about could be having those feelings. And like, Mm -hmm. what do you do with that? Especially when they're so young, because I do think we, you are at a stage where where this is a very important, like pivotal time in his life of like, if we play this wrong, that is who he's going to become. And so it is really interesting to watch his family kind of the different way they, ways that they deal with it. I think the yeah. mom is probably the most hands-on with saying like, this is a discussion that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. And this is something we need to deal with together. Um, I think his sister is pretty much like, it's business as usual. Like, you know, we're, we're going to have just a sibling relationship. And when I'm here, I'm here. And when I'm not, I'm not. Um, and his dad is not in the picture at all. Yeah. And, um, I would say that his aunt is maybe somewhere in the middle. Like you can tell that his aunt is very cautious about the topic, but also kind of tries to act like everything's fine. Like, yeah, we're going to have a nice Thanksgiving and like you're going to come up there and you're going to be you're going to be supportive and act like a loving and caring kid, even if that's not what you are. It's kind mm-hmm. of like I feel like she leans a little bit more towards the like. It's more like tough love where it's just yeah, like... Yeah, like sarcastic. It is what it is. We're going to yeah. deal with this the way that we want to deal with this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's... Uh, I, I like the fam- the family dynamic that they have. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it makes me more excited to have more scenes with the family. Because like you said earlier, we follow a lot of John here. So mm-hmm. when we get some breaks where he's actually interacting with people, I'm glad that his family is um one of the more interesting um relationships that he has and like watching them navigate each other is very is very fun especially especially him and his mom yeah their whole relationship through the course of this movie it's such a oh, how does how does this how do you describe their relationship because like she is very much a caring loving mom like she really does love john and she wants yeah. to make it work um, but the backdrop of everything is the issue where it's like he's slipping into tendencies that she reads as like these could be problematic. Um, their family business is one that is more on the morbid side. So it's like that's mm-hmm. probably not helping his condition either. And apparently she kind of thinks the therapist is cute as well. So right. like that also there's a lot of different things kind of swirling around in this situation. Yeah. It feels like their relationship to me seem almost feels like through no fault of either of their own, their relationship at time does almost feel more like roommates than 
family mm. only because the mom is so busy and she is dealing with like i said a situation that she doesn't really know how to handle she's also dealing with a daughter that she is constantly getting in arguments with mm-hmm. she has a business that she's trying to keep afloat mm-hmm. and a a dad to her kids that is barely even a thought in yeah. the sense, or I should say the kids are barely even a thought to the dad. Yeah. And I think that all of that is hard for her to navigate. And then just because of the type of person that John is, he's not wanting things to go deeper with his mom. He's not wanting a more personal relationship with her he is wanting to keep her at the length that they are already at and i feel like the more that she pushes particularly on the situation i do think the more that he feels like he wants to pull away yeah because like it's all these things that break up his routine are i think what end up making him spiral in these moments where yeah he's got the setup system that has worked for him for x amount of time yeah but as these events keep happening and things keep changing on him on the fly um that very quick change uh, change in scheduling or what have you uh really affects him a lot Mm -hmm. and like it gets him emotional. It makes him lash out. Um, and it damages his relationships as well, yeah. unfortunately. Because the thing about it is he doesn't care. That's the biggest thing. It's like he doesn't care about the relationships. So whatever happens, happens for him. It's mm. not like it bothers him that him and his mom aren't close. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He's, yeah. he's fine with the way that things are. Um, and also too, yeah, he's trying to navigate the way that he's feeling. And then this situation occurs and it's really all that he can think about. Um, but when he discovers the whole thing about the organs, I mean, his mom cuts him off from the morgue side mm-hmm. of things. She's like, you're done. Cause he's going through some person's like organ bag. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The bag that has all their shit in it. He's like flipping through all their <laughs> stuff, like throwing it on the table. <laughs> yeah. Which like, I understand her being upset, but I, I at least hear him out, I suppose. Yeah. I'm, no, he should not be in there, you know, unsupervised fiddling through people's organs. However, right. he is picking up some stuff that could be helpful to finding this serial killer in this small town, which is a massive deal because that is all that the town can talk about. Because uh, it seems like somebody's dying almost every day yeah, at one point. Or at point. least every week. Or at least every week, yeah, yeah. There's a dead body for a little while. Yeah, and I mean, uh, to be fair, she does indulge him a little bit because he's like, oh, the organs are here. Where that's weird. And she's like, okay, well, they're missing an arm. Like, yeah. shut the fuck up, go upstairs. But mm-hmm. I do just think it was the timing of everything because I do think it is a little worrisome to hear that your kid who is having these like fantasies and urges is now just like juggling somebody's organs <laughs> alone downstairs in the morgue. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, because it almost feels like he's more, abs- it, it's more excited. Yes. And like really starting to get obsessed with this situation. You already he already has an obsession with past serial killers. And I think at that point in time, 
the past the last conversation that they had about it not to say that he was excited that there was going to be a lot of dead bodies but he didn't care mm -hmm. and i think that that's the big thing with the mom is that she views all of these bodies as people as people that they used to live in this town with and he has a complete disregard for this person and he's just going through their shit literally going through their shit <laughs> and just like throwing it on the table like it doesn't matter i think that was more the issue for her is that it's like this is someone we knew and they deserve to be treated with respect even mm -hmm. though they're not alive anymore like you're gonna sneak down here and just be like throwing their spleen on the table are you crazy <laughs> it's pretty disrespectful um, it's disrespect like come on but yeah um after that happens he sees this homeless man that has kind of been just popping up everywhere that he's been and that's when we get the reveal is that this homeless man crowley is going fishing this homeless man kind of rolls up and is like hey yo can i go fishing with you which okay um <laughs> and crowley's like yeah he follows them to the lake and it seems like the homeless man is going to stab Crowley. Yeah. And then Crowley turns around and stabs the homeless man with a stick or was that? I think that was his arm or his okay. hand. Yeah. His hand that extended. Yeah. Cause he I has like a venom. I that one a couple times. <laughs> yeah. He has like a venom, <laughs> a venom hand yeah. that'll like, it's like black and gooey and it'll extend and so he, john watches him the whole time he rips out this guy's lungs he rips out his own lungs and replaces his lungs with the the other guy's lungs and it's very clear that crowley is not human which is another aspect is it's like i think from the very beginning john knows that crowley is not a human being which does add another layer on it where i do think that that element helps where you're like of course he wouldn't go to the police because how do you explain that yeah how do you say yeah oh the old man across the street who can <laughs> who's huffing and puffing just to get down his stairs ripped the lungs out <laughs> of a man at man. the lake yeah, yeah. like uh, it's it's very unbelievable and like even later on when he attempts to save the barber um, to some capacity and does get the police involved, it's very clear that it doesn't matter because they can't do shit to him. He's not a human right. being. If it gets to the point where the authorities are involved and he can't help it, he's just going to kill him. Like mm -hmm. he's, that is his, yeah. uh, his uh, creature privilege. Yeah. He's in complete control. When he is strong, he's in complete control, which is something else that we discover is that, he does these things in order to stay strong because his body, he's old and his body is starting to fail him. Yeah. And so he needs to replace his failing organs or whatever area that's hurt. He needs to replace that so that he is at his best capacity. Cause yeah, later on when he kills his barber in the barber shop, he um takes his leg yeah which that but one, i love his little dance was... <laughs> his little jig he like tests his leg out and he's like bah, bah, bah. he's like <laughs> doing it. the stanky leg just to see if they work he's like hey <laughs> out of all of them that one was the more personal slightly pettier of the just... kills because with the whole barber setup we see um again he 
when he's not out murdering, is trying to just live very happily with yeah. Mrs. Crowley. So one of the activities we see is they go out for, you know, elderly people dance nights. And they go out and they go dance and have fun. And they're fun. caught in a rug. And they Mrs. Really... Crowley mm-hmm. is light on her feet. Yes, she is. And she loves to dance. And we see through the stockings of John that in his current state, Mr. Crowley actually can't keep up. Um, so at some point he has to bow out, take a break. And his barber very boldly asks, hey, man, you mind if I just dance around with your wife for a little bit? Well, and the way he says some shit where he's like, can I take her for another spin? Uh, excuse me. Have some respect. <laughs> That's <laughs> a married res- woman, sir. Have some respect on my wife's name. And yeah, uh, don't mo- say that. <laughs> the moment he said that, I knew his ass was dead. I was like, yeah. oh, bro, you just signed your death waiver on that yeah. one. It's like, oh, Lord, you really <laughs> come on, man. There's You can't find anybody else to dance with. I get it. She wants to dance. She wanted to do her little dance. So I understand that he wanted to ask her. But yeah, as soon as he said that, Crowley, Crowley was over there looking. And once, like I said, too, Barbara, Barbara was was pretty light on his feet as well. He was mm-hmm. dug in his way across the floor. <laughs> I was like, damn. Man, still got it. Still got He's the got moves. it. He's got it. He but is yeah. young on his feet. <laughs> the speed with which he snatched up his leg and did his little dance uh, mm-hmm. had yeah. me honestly uh, in stitches because it was yeah. pretty, it was pretty it, funny. It was pretty funny just watching him try it on for size, and he <laughs> was like, "That's the stuff." And then we see him dancing later with his wife in the living room. Yeah, and so it's like it's the whole setup of everything. Now the pace of this film, I would say, is on the slower side, but it does feel deliberate. Yeah. Because you do get a lot, it's very front loaded. Like you get a lot of information in the beginning, and then you kind of just are along for the ride once like all the pieces are in place just to see things progress. Um for sure. Yeah. And so like for some it can it can feel a little long. Even myself, it felt slightly slow in places. However, the the main concept of what we're dealing with here. The sociopathic kid following this supernatural killer who was at one point a at least close acquaintance of his and just watching the story unfold was very intriguing. Mm-hmm. It was. And I will I do think you're right. There's a good chunk of this middle after the discovery has been made and we know it's Crowley. There's a good chunk of this middle that is that slows down. But I do think yeah it's pretty deliberate and it it feels right for the story only because i just think it 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 is so necessary for john as a character because this is where you really realize that he is spiraled into exactly what he said he wasn't going to do because all of this middle is him stalking Crowley Mm -hmm. and just following him here and there and there and watching through his windows and walking through the town late at night and and doing all this crazy shit leaving notes and and like enjoying that aspect of things Mm -hmm. and and you really start to see that he's kind of starting to get into a spot where it's like what are you doing? Because it, that's another thing too is is time. The passage of time is very clear in this film. We hit multiple holidays yeah. while this is happening. We go from Halloween to Thanksgiving to Christmas. Christmas. And so you know this has been going on for months. It's not like he's just watched him over the week. Like he has been doing this for months, stalking Crowley and not doing anything about it. Not only that, 
but visiting Crowley and like visiting his house, doing little tasks for him, taking care of him. And that's when you start to get into this. What is your goal? Like, what are you getting from this, John? Because there is an element of it that feels like he is getting some some like it, you can tell that he's just so fascinated by the situation and that he is in a way trying to get as much information as possible but to what end because yeah. he's not going to tell anybody what is going on he's yeah. not going to share this with anyone and also too there's an element to this because any other situation with a kid in this scenario i would be thinking oh my god what are you doing but it's different with john because he's not scared he he's not fearful for the repercussions of what he might do or what could happen to him he is obviously doesn't sound like he wants to die or that's not what i'm saying but it's like they're the other emotions that other like need to just know as much about the situation as possible is so superseding any sort of fear that he could have Mm -hmm. that he is like really throwing himself into the thick of it and not giving an actual fuck about yeah, it at all <laughs> at all and so a lot of this like you said there's a bunch of crowley watching to a point where um the obsession kind of takes a bit of a turn here and i will say that although i appreciate the fact that this movie has a deliberate pace the second half was a bit harder for me than the first half i think i was like really in it for the first half then the second half i would flip in and out um okay but uh, one of the big things that happens is he kind of pushes things a little too far, right? It starts off with a note. Like, he leaves a note for Crowley saying, like, hey, I know, like, you don't know who I am, but I know what's up. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it starts progressing to um, him now, like, contacting contacting him via phone and then even going after his wife to try and get some sort of a reaction out of him or to like spark something out of him, um, which is wild, first and (laughs) foremost, that after seeing everything that he saw, he's like, all right, now I'm gonna go beat up your wife, potentially, (laughs) Mm. like potentially murder your wife just to see what kind of reaction you would have. That's wild. And that's how you kind of know that he's definitely spiraled. Um, But a question that I had, something that was bugging me is... When it gets to this point, this is this is post panda mask because he gets a panda mask for Christmas and then he's like obsessed with that thing, right? Yeah. Um, when he starts really fucking with Crowley and even Mrs. Crowley, he has spent so much time with them. How do they not recognize his voice? Yeah, it's 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 giving like uh, a Cinderella story where she puts a mask <laughs> on and everybody doesn't realize it's the same fucking person. <laughs> And it's like a half mask because, yeah, he has this panda mask that it's a ski mask that covers his complete face. Fine, whatever. But his voice and his build are exactly the same. How many kids in this neighborhood wear those exact khaki pants? How many? (laughs) (laughs) Show of hands. How many of you guys have khaki pants and the exact build of, of John? Because I do think that, I mean, after a while, Crowley knows. Like he's he knows it's John. Mm-hmm. But at first, yeah, he doesn't know exactly who it was. Um, 
I I think that at this point in time, it's interesting because it's like Crowley is a demon at the end of the day, but yeah. his powers, I, I, what he's able to do is not all knowing, all seeing, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, because he you is would limited. Think, yeah, you would think that he would maybe know that it was John or know that since John watching or following him, but he doesn't, which, which honestly I think works better for this film because um, I don't think it would be as fun if Crowley was, was able just, to get the upper hand yeah. super quickly because it would be like, okay, well, then just kill him. You know what it is? But um, yeah, it definitely, Mrs. Crowley, it's not so bad because I'm like, you're, she, you're being she, yeah, she, she didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but for him, it does seem like it's not until like right before um, the whole thing with it, it. It's when he attacks Mrs. Crowley that he knows it what that it's John. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for that whole thing where they're like talking on the phone and and he like comes and chases him with a car, it isn't totally clear if Crowley is aware that this is John or if he just knows that this is a person that's fucking with him. Yeah. Um, but going off of something that you said with the um at once we get past Panda Mask. So after John leaves the note and he's like, I know what you are, and then we get into the Christmas situation where John gets a gift from his dad that spirals him. Like mm -hmm. it, it's a bad gift. It's clear his dad didn't put any effort into it and it upsets him. And so he kind of runs out and this is when things start to really rock it up because this is when he calls Crowley and he's like, what are you doing? Why are <laughs> like, you? I, what's the what's the deal with the like the organs? What's up? And he gets like a little bit of information out of Crowley, but not very much. But I feel like post him leaving Max's house mm -hmm. and them getting into that argument and then him seeing Max's dad get attacked. I do feel like that's the turning point where it does not become about the control and the spiraling so much. I feel like that's the point where it does become like, I'm going to take this guy down because I think from that yeah. point, from that point on John's only um focus is making sure that Crowley gets sick enough where he just dies because yeah. he's like if he can't get any more organs he'll die and so from that point on it feels like his focus is more so I think that like I'm gonna attack Mrs. Crowley so that you have to come back home and deal with that and be off the streets mm -hmm. and and like leave whatever you were doing because it's like he waits until he's like exactly parked so he's like i'm assuming this is where you hang out and watch and then he like sends him the thing and he's and then he comes back so i think from that point on he's like i just have to run the clock down yeah which is very smart and another big pro is the fact that john all conditions aside it's a pretty smart character and yeah, like yeah. he's pretty resourceful as well and so like even with the Mrs. Crowley situation, that was mad reckless, but that was a surefire way to yeah. get um, to get Mr. Crowley to do exactly what he wanted him to do. Um, unfortunately, 
um, in that whole situation, he does kind of sort of lead to his therapist getting killed. <laughs> yeah, dude. Very unfortunate. Because um, he has a conversation with his therapist prior to going over there. And his therapist is actually the one who, like, unwittingly gives him the idea because his therapist says like oh the only thing that keeps people if even if everything's going wrong the only thing that would keep a person like stuck in place is if they didn't want to leave their loved ones behind Mm -hmm. and that's when john's like oh i'm about to fuck mrs crawley up (laughs) and so he goes over there and does all that he thinks that he accidentally kills her um Mm -hmm. because he hits her over the head with the alarm clock and she stops moving and so he calls his therapist and is very, very much alludes to the fact that he has gone past the point of no return, killed somebody. Yeah. And but doesn't tell his therapist where he is. Like, he's just like, I got to go. Like, says all that. And was like, I got to go. So his therapist goes out on the streets, like wandering, looking for him and gets picked up by Mr. Crowley. And yeah, that's the only reason that he gets killed, which Mr. Crowley kind of uses against him later to make him feel bad because mm-hmm. i do think i do think that this is the point in time where we do start to see that john despite his best efforts and despite his un like unwant to connect does still feel for people and like you know like it yeah, does still have those, those people. very close to him yeah it's different i think this is the moment where things change where it's not just a body anymore it's a person yeah. and i feel like especially with max's dad it's like him and his mom get in an argument later on where he kind of snaps and he's like i don't feel anything whatever whatever i do think that is true i don't think that max's dad is necessarily like a big snapping point for him but and i don't think that he's necessarily like oh my god it's max's dad um i think more so it's like just starting to get closer to home and starting to ramp up to that feeling of like i i i know max and i know that this is gonna hurt him and and i know my therapist and like that kind of hurts me leading all the way up to like his mom yeah very true and so like even at that point where it's like i guess even if you lack the empathy towards like these complete strangers once it's people inside of your circle now being targeted Mm -hmm. It, cha- it it kind of changes the game a bit. And I definitely agree. I think the Max and his dad situation was a big turning point because it was kind of a one-two punch, right? Of like, first he has his, um, his, oh God, I'm forgetting the word. Uh, not fallout. fight. Thank you. He has his fallout with Max over <laughs> basically revealing to him that he is just a tool used for his mental health, which... Yeah. Max, understandable your reaction there. <laughs> Fuck you, get out of my house, bro. Yeah. Um, but I think that combined with the knowledge of like not stopping Mr. Crowley has now led to the death of Max's dad. And like I also kind of fucked with Max's mental a little bit. Like yeah. things are just starting to affect him a lot more. And so from there, it is um Get, like you said, getting very, very much closer and closer to home. And so, yeah, especially with the mom situation, that one 
was interesting because that was one of the few times that I feel like we saw fear in John, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he is very open about the fact that the relationship doesn't matter to him. When he thinks that Mr. Crowley has gone out after his mom, there is still genuine concern there, which yeah. I think is very different for John's character. Yeah. And I think what it is with the other people is I think that when it goes into that, like, although you have maybe a weaker conscience than most people, he does still have a conscience. And I think that that's what it is specifically with those people is that, yeah, you're right. Because he didn't do anything about Crowley before Max's dad died. And because he called his therapist his therapist came out on the streets in the middle of the night and he wouldn't have done that if 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 uh John hadn't been into the shenanigans that he was in. I feel like it starts to like kind of knock on his conscience a little bit. Yeah. And then by the time yeah, by the time we get to his mom, I do think that this is the thing where it's like I I just feel like for a lot of it John it's very clear. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, he obviously does have emotions. He does have people that he cares about because, like, otherwise the whole thing with his dad wouldn't upset him so much. Otherwise, mm-hmm. these, like, small little things wouldn't upset him and get to him. But I do think that by the end of it, the journey that we go on is John feels like he's a person that can't love, can't form these connections. And I feel like he's kind of, but, but, and can't see people as people and has these urges to to kill. And then that's like directly contradicted by Crowley, who his only reason for doing things is love. He wouldn't be killing people if it wasn't for love. Like in Well, I don't know about that because he has I he think does so. say Well, I, I agree, like now. I think that it is a a labor of love, his killings. But he he's very um, forward about the fact that he's done terrible things and killed a lot of oh, people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about past demon. Okay, I'm we're, just saying we're, we're just this is about post. The here and now. I'm talking about post K okay, because I okay. think because that's the only reason that he even really like stays in the body that he's in. The only reason that is, he's trying to make sure that body doesn't fail is because that's who K loves. Right, right. Because by the once they're done, he's like, okay, then I literally have no reason to live anymore. I, he lets them kill him because mm-hmm. he's like, if K's not if I can't have the body that K wants. She ain't she ain't do she ain't doing nothing (laughs) with me like this. It's just not gonna happen. So yeah, I just think that his life has changed, and now love is like the most important thing in his life. That's the only reason that he fights for this body, which is another thing. They show that picture of Emmett, who's the body. That's like the skin that the demon has taken and it looks just like mr christopher lloyd looks (laughs) the same as he did when he was younger it's like a picture of a young christopher lloyd so i was like that's literally mr crowley does nobody else (laughs) does nobody else recognize that this is the same person (laughs) they show it on the news multiple times they're like the missing body of emmett from 42 years ago nobody else notices that that's obviously mr crowley um but yeah, it's like this this whole thing is is been for love. The love of Kay is like why this demon kills now. Yeah. And I do think that um for I I I do think that maybe that's an aspect of 
life that John finds confusing, like putting that much stock in relationships and those emotions. Mm -hmm. But I do think that by the end of it, he's much more open to it. I think especially after like seeing this whole situation unfold, I do think that it is a time to realize that like that's not a weakness. Like love is not a weakness and that you can be open to those emotions and you don't have to like push so hard to keep those connections at bay. Yeah. Because I feel like by the end of it, he's much more open to like the more like personal side of relationships and being just more like, you know, like playful and just like open to, to getting to know these people and, and being okay with that. Yeah. And that, I think that's the biggest thing though, too, is like getting to know these people, right. Not just these objects anymore. Yeah. Where at least the people who are close to him, he is now recognizing or seeing them more as people, especially as he starts to lose them one by one. He's like, Oh shit. These aren't mm-hmm. just boxes. These are these are human beings. Um, even if I don't feel the full capacity towards them, they're still important to me in some way. Um, yeah. So like it does kind of lead us up into the finale here. Um, I did like their confrontation in like during the funeral. Yeah. Um, I did think that that was very tense. I really enjoyed that moment. Um, but I'm curious how the full on just reveal of like. I guess the the grand creature and all that, how that stuff worked for you. At worked the for end. you. Um, so yeah, basically it ends with um, John hides Grant's body so that Crowley can't take the heart. We get to see Crowley a little bit in shadow before that <laughs> when he runs up to <laughs> Kay's room. We see him in silhouette, and you can see all his little spindly parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. So later on, he takes his mom into the morgue and they kind of overpower Crowley, embalm him. So all his little black juices come out. And then once that body is dead, the demon kind of like slithers (laughs) out. And it looks cool. I actually think it looked pretty cool. It's not the best. It's not like no, mind not. blowing CGI. It was but giving sci-fi and for, for certain... the budget. <laughs> for the what, like one point five million budget or whatever we, they had. We have absolutely seen worse. We have covered worse. We've talked about worse. We definitely has this is no this ain't no Krampus. Let's be fair. <laughs> it's not like that. It's it actually I like the design of it a lot. I think it looks yeah. cool. It's like a very tall, black, gooey <laughs> monster. It was, it's like it very was the skinny. Face for me, though, like the face was a little too CG. Like well, I almost wish he didn't even have a face. And it's really bright. Like the room that they're in is like fluorescent light bright. Mm-hmm. It's you see a lot. It's <laughs> it, you see you a see lot. Every crevice. Every, every goopy bit it's everything there i will i will say christopher lloyd's voice sounds awesome like True. as the demon like finally seeing the demon in full form and it's still being christopher lloyd's voice i was like he sounds fucking dope like it sounds really mm-hmm. cool but it 
it looks especially when it first starts like crawling around the table i feel like it looks really cool it's just mm. when it stands up that it's maybe a little bit wonky but for the budget that they had i it didn't take me out of the movie at all mm -hmm. like i wasn't you know super disappointed by that fact i honestly was surprised that we even saw because i thought that was going to be the end of it i didn't think it was going to crawl out and do a whole like soliloquy thing sure. so that worked for me and and yeah, this is also going with what you said. This is the first time. So when he first goes down, Crowley says, like, where'd you hide it? And then John goes, it's him, not it. Like, mm -hmm. he, like, switches what he, what was said to him earlier, um, which I thought was cool. Yeah. But yeah, the, like I said, the demon basically gives up and is like, hey, take care of Kay for me. I know you tried to kill her earlier, but don't do that again. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and then kills itself yeah just like there's no point to living and i do think that's a very poetic way of ending like as they were doing their little standoff there i wasn't really sure where that scene was gonna go mm -hmm. um but now after the fact i'm kind of glad that it went that direction because it just stays very in line with the motives of that character yeah yeah, and I, I think, too, this movie, like, when you come down to it at the end of the day, is kind of, a, like, um, I know what's the word I'm looking for? Exploration. This mm. movie is kind of, like, an exploration of relationships and, yeah. like, the emotional weight that, that we can put on relationships or the lack thereof yeah. and kind of how that affects you and how that affects the people around you. And because I do think we see a lot of different types of relationships in this film, because I even noticed it like Max and his dad have a very specific relationship. Mm -hmm. um, even Brooke and her family. I just thought it was so interesting when he comes over to get the vanilla and you see this almost like picture perfect, leave it to beaver type family, like all standing in the living room, smiling at him in juxtaposition with his family where it's like him and his his mom and his sister are barely talking they're in the middle of a fight mm -hmm. he is uncomfortable being there he doesn't really want to be there and then the aunt is like stuck in the middle and i feel like this movie just explores the different ways that like relationships can kind of control how you feel about people mm -hmm. and how that dictates your actions towards them. And because even like I said, although love was the leading force for Crowley, that was only love towards Kay. Like you mm -hmm. said, he had relationships with these people. Him and his barber seemed like they were dope. <laughs> like they seemed like they were joking and having a good relationship prior to this. But at the end of the day, that relationship was not important to him because mm -hmm. The only person he cared about was Kay, whereas you have John, who doesn't care about anybody, really, but is still trying his hardest not to hurt anyone. Yeah. And despite so it's like that. Yeah, it's very cool that it feels like John and Crowley are are two sides of the same coin where it's just like uh, you have one character in John where it's like he has the thoughts and feelings about killing, but is trying very hard not to, um, despite not loving anyone under his, you know, current condition. Whereas Crowley openly loves someone, but feels absolutely nothing towards killing people because it leads to 
because well he's not human he just doesn't mm-hmm. care <laughs> so it's yeah. it's funny to see those two perspectives kind of move in tandem because they have a lot of sim- similarities there's just slight tweaks in their motives and their wants yeah. that make them different um so it is like it's an exploration and it's also almost like a character study on like both of these characters and their motivations um all in all it was like a more thought-provoking movie than i think i was expecting going into it yeah no i agree with that left me left me feeling like i felt like it had more to say than than i anticipated and i also liked in the ending i liked that his mom was involved i Mm. i liked that and i liked how it was it was like they she it was the first time where he was kind of like, hey, just help me, believe me on this. And she was like, okay. And she just like kind of followed his lead. Mm-hmm. And I like how that led into the ending. I, I like that it ended without being super cheesy or hallmark. It wasn't like, now we have an understanding and our family is great. It was just like, we're going to get through this. Like, we're going to yeah. move past this somehow the best way we can we're gonna figure this out we don't know how but um but we will also another thing that i noticed too is they they touch on that crowley keeps reciting that poem by william blake mm-hmm. of the tiger the tiger and yeah the lamb. and the lamb which i also thought was interesting because obviously those are at least i think they're supposed to be about um kind of like how god can create like these two different things that are the opposite of each other they're both like melded by the same same form but one of them is like an evil predator and then the other one is like an innocent good that like gets affected by the evil predator sort of a thing which is obviously the tiger (laughs) is is meant to be the evil predator but i thought it was interesting because when John gets that the gift from his dad. He he calls him Tiger. He says, "Hey, Tiger," mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just thought that was. I don't know if that was what they were trying to do, but if they were, I just thought it was interesting because I do think that that just plays on this idea of like John being really afraid that that is what he represents as like the bad side, the bad side of, of the world. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. the worst version of of humankind, and that that is what he's gonna become. All in all, still a very thought-provoking piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you did get very Guardians in the Galaxy with the Spirit in the Sky moment uh, at the end. Is that but- what you... I, that that song always reminds me of um, This Is The End. Uh, I, I mean, I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> um, but they had the, the little meter like jumping to the yeah. beat. And I was like, okay, all right. We got a little silly towards the end. You know what? I'm okay with the palate cleanser. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I like I I mean I think I I just love that song but I I liked that they did something with the the jumping of the meter cuz earlier when it was going off I was like this reminds me of a metronome yeah. I was hoping that they would do something with that. Also, the music in this is cool. It's a lot of organ music. A lot of it organ music, yeah. Almost reminds me of like Phantasm and like that in the way that it is played out like an organ version yeah. Of like a phantasm score, if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> I, I hear you. Uh, definitely less synth in there, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Full organ. Full, full on organ. Um, full on also, organ. Apparently, no black people in this town. 
it happens but i guess it was for the best for though because like yeah. you don't want to be in this town that's for damn sure i just oh. like i i just noticed it during the um the like take care of each other sequence when they're yeah. just standing together as a town i was like that was so corny the way that he said that and he was like and he like put his like chin on the top of his like wife's head or something <laughs> i was like okay oh i forgot to mention though the jump scare moment <laughs> it, the car the lady getting hit by the car oh yeah <laughs> because john john is talking about his relationship with fear and how he doesn't really feel fear and i like I, grant looks at him like he's crazy but i feel like what he was saying made sense where he's like you know people's relationships with fear are so interesting because it's like the mundane things that you've done a million times like you're not afraid of anything bad happening there but it's like the unexpected that people are afraid of when really the mundane things can like bad things can happen there too mm -hmm. and he's like watching this lady walk across the street and he's explaining how like oh yeah she checks and makes sure that no cars are coming she crosses the street and hopes everything's fine but he like fantasizes he fantasizes her getting hit by a car <laughs> and it was weird because i kind of thought that was what was going to happen yes yeah, but it was the speed and the volume <laughs> I thought the car was gonna I thought there would be more time to see the car. I thought it was gonna come from the other side of the screen. Nah, but it comes baby, from off screen. Yeah. <laughs> it comes from off screen and absolutely plows her. <laughs> and it scared the shit out of me. I went, oh <laughs> I, I admittedly that one got me too because I just wasn't expecting just like the velocity and yes. the overall. <laughs> just uh aggression of that moment but yeah. it is a fantasy she's okay it's uh, and it's just, it just made me laugh how <laughs> after that happens it cuts back to what really happens which is just her crossing the street and i just love that he says oh she's fine she made it yeah, she <laughs> <made> <laughs> <laughs> i was like <laughs> i was like bro what like oh, we got a little God. peek into his mind it's like oh, okay i'll kind of get why you are she's the way fine. you are now <laughs> She's fine. She made it. He just says it like, oh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> it's like he's not a sociopath. He just has the darkest sense of yeah, humor. <laughs> he just has those those like random, what are the intrusive thoughts? But I also, but I'm like a lot of people have intrusive, like I have intrusive thoughts like that sometimes. Not like that, but ones where it's like, what if I just, what if I just <laughs> chop my finger off right now? Like, <laughs> what yeah. would happen? <laughs> what, 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 what would happen? Nah, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> thinking about it i just thinking about it i'm not gonna do it <laughs> um but yeah that one that one did scare me i'm not, I'm not even gonna lie that was That's... the one jump scare that i was talking about so um now you know it's coming <laughs> but all right any other uh any other notes you got for this one i think i'm all tapped out I think that's about it. Honestly, the only last note I have is, for the most part, this will reflect in my rating, I really, really liked this movie. I liked the way that everything laid out. The one scene that I'm still on the fence about is the scene of Max's dad um, being attacked and John like trying to get him. There's something about the way that it unfolds that just felt weirdly choreographed to me. It's yeah. weird because it's the one time where I feel like John feels like a kid where you're like, oh, he really doesn't know how to handle the situation. And he's just like gasping at straws. But on the other hand, it's like 
it i don't know i kind of like that mr crowley is so focused on what he's doing that he's not fucking with john yeah but i don't know it was just something about the way that it was choreographed with john just like trying to pull on his legs and being like no it just was a little bit off to me <laughs> that's that's fair and yeah i'll talk about a bit of my writing too but there were a couple scenes that just didn't not they weren't bad they just didn't work to the degree that i think that they were supposed to for me yeah um and that happens like periodically throughout the entire thing but i, I still overall enjoyed the film too mm-hmm. and kind of agree with you on that front all right well nothing left to do but to rate it mm-hmm. what are we thinking of writing this one out of um, I mean, if we want to go cut and dry, we could always do panda mask or panda ski masks. Mm, that's true. That's true. Panda ski masks. We could do borrowed organs. Borrowed organs. Just trying to think of something with hot chocolate. But oh yeah, a lot of hot chocolate. A lot of hot chocolate. Hot chocolate homicides. <laughs> There's a lot of hot chocolate. Yeah, he loves hot chocolate. Apparently. apparently Apparently. everyone else knows that he loves hot chocolate more than he knows it yeah he's like okay but (laughs) he probably probably because anytime anybody gives it to him he's just like sure i'll drink it (laughs) um i think that i i feel like we're never gonna have panda ski masks i would be very surprised if i saw that in another movie uh so that might be that one might be the move okay all right fair enough would you like me to go first? Do you want to take the reins um, on this one? You go ahead. I think I went first last time. So why don't okay. you go first? All right. Well, in that case, um, I think I'm going to give I Am Not a Serial Killer three out of five uh, okay. ski masks. Yeah. Overall, I did really enjoy this movie and I um, had a good time watching it. Again, I was very intrigued and immersed in the story of these two characters and like how they were going to intertwine and unravel and like where the story was going to go. All of that stuff really uh, held me on. Um, there were like a couple stylistic choices that weren't my favorite. And I do still kind of stand by the fact that although the pace is deliberate, it felt a little slow in places. Um, the movie is an hour 40, so it is like slightly on the longer side. Um, it didn't feel too bad, honestly, but it is just something that I did think of while watching. Um, but I think overall, the story is interesting. Uh, the concept is fun. Um, I am kind of curious about the books now. I just think for me, like some stylistic choices. And honestly, there's a couple places where there is some great uh, sequences of acting and then there are also some shaky acting mm-hmm. sequences for me and so i think all these things coupled together lead me or leave me with a film that i did like however i would be kind of selective about who i would recommend this to um so for that reason i'm giving this bad boy three out of five panda ski masks okay I'm actually going to give this one a 4.9 out of 5 panda ski masks. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Not only it's beautifully shot. um, I love the story. I love the protagonist. I like really like following John because it's just such a different point of view. I feel like in this sort of a story, I feel like normally we'd be following like the good ragtag neighborhood kids who are like trying to fight back against this. 
And to see this person where you're really unfamiliar with what their motive is was was really fun to see. Um, and I like the supernatural aspect of it. I loved the stylized choice of just like the film and even just the way that a lot of these shots we're just kind of following and watching because I feel like it sort of puts us in that same mind frame as like John and what he's kind of dealing with. And I like the way the for the most part, honestly, I agree with you that this movie is long and slow, but weirdly enough, I never felt it like not in the same way that I feel it for other movies. It didn't uh. really bother me. I was still pretty invested for the whole movie. And like I after the first hour went by, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't honestly didn't even really feel that that was an hour. My only reason that it's not perfect is because. There's some time. I love that they're very definitive about how much time is passing in this movie. But my only thing is it feels like we jump pretty frequently from like Halloween and then it's Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas. And I wish we had had a little bit more like school or or just something else in between to really show how disconnected John was getting from the world. Cause we hear about it. We hear about it from Max when we find out they haven't seen each other in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we see a couple interactions with him and Brooke, but I wish we got a few more of those to just really see that he's like totally shutting down from the yeah. people around him, particularly Max. I think that that would have been interesting to maybe just get like one or two more school scenes or just one or two more scenes where like his friends, quote unquote, or the people that think they're his friends are trying to connect with him and he's mm -hmm. just like totally brushing them off. Um, so yeah, that was the only thing that I was kind of missing. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed this movie and I highly recommend it. So 4.9 out of 5 Panda Ski Masks. All right. Sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. But also, this is on Tubi. I always try to remember to say that at the beginning of the episode. Forget every single time. It's on Tubi for anybody who has listened this far and wants to watch <laughs> it and hasn't seen it yet. It's free on Tubi right now. So if you guys um, haven't checked that out yet, I would recommend it, especially since it's free. Mm -hmm. um, and we would love to hear what you guys think of this movie. You can talk to us on our social media. We are homies of horror on everything. Or if you prefer, you can email us. We are homies of horror at gmail.com. You can email us requests, recommendations, and business inquiries. Or if you'd like to come into our Discord, that's where we hang out with the homies all day, seven days a week, and should chat about all things horror, but other things as well. So if you'd like to come through there and hang out, we'd love to see you. The link for that is in our social media bio. And if you're listening to this on Monday, that means that we are streaming on Twitch tonight. Twitch is where we hang out and play spooky games, have some drinks, have some laughs, and have a lot of screams. So if you guys would like to come through there and say hello there as well, the link for that will also be in our social media bios. And last but never least, if you are so inclined, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or a review. You can do both over on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the better. Recommends our show to more listeners. And we just like to hear what you guys are thinking of the show. So if you haven't done that and have an Apple account, we'd love for you to. Or over on Spotify, you can always rate us by simply going to our name, clicking the stars underneath, and that will lock in a rating for you. But thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. We hope that you have a great rest of your week. And we will be talking spooky things to you guys again next Monday. Catch you next time, homies. Bye.